Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. We have my fellow Canadian sister, Tara Mitra, who is a lover of life, of all the wonderful, delicious, finest things that are in life. She loves India. She uh, has spent a lot of time in India. She uh, spent time as a sommelier, uh, enjoying wine. She uh, loves food and cooking and nourishing her mind, body, and spirit, and also helping others nourish their mind, body, and spirit. She's dived deeply into understanding yoga as a therapy, the therapeutic aspects of yoga and how yoga can help you heal trauma. Growing up um, in a family that uh, unfortunately had an abusive situation, uh, dysfunction happening in it, Tara left home at a very young age um, and started to fend for herself. Um, And she just has such an inspirational story. I met her in India uh, many moons ago, and I was a mother at the time. I had my young son with me, and she um, was becoming a resident because her father is uh, Indian national. And so she was able to get her residency there and and decided to live there and practice full-time with Saraswati Joyce, who is the daughter of Sri K. Patabi Joyce. And she became, I think it's fair to say, Saraswati's most treasured and valued student and also her first true assistant in the room and uh, she just dedicated her her life and her energy and her time to really uh, being mentored by Saraswati Joyce and so we're going to talk about Tara's journey from uh, growing up in Toronto to moving to Vancouver and then moving down to Sonoma and finally moving to India and now she is residing in Italy. And yes, it does sound like her life is following the journey of eat, pray, love, something like that. But she is truly a devoted uh practitioner and teacher and just has so much uh, beautiful natural wisdom to share. She's living an abundant life and I know you're just going to love hearing about all of her adventures. And this is one last reminder. It's the final week to donate to the Three and a Half Acres uh, charity month-long event. We've been teaching classes all month, and there's a few more left this week. Lisa Shremp on Tuesday. Krishna Das will be chanting on Tuesday. Bibi Lorenzetti will be teaching Ashtanga for All on Thursday. And still on January 1st, you can catch David Griggs. So um, a lot coming up. And if you haven't made your donation, please do. Uh, Lara's charity organization is a wonderful organization and helped us to raise funds for India earlier this year, back in March, you might remember. Um, and so we're, we're helping her 
nonprofit to uh, raise money for trauma relief and trauma-informed teaching and trauma-informed practice. So it's really, really important. Um, and I think a theme that goes really well with uh, Tara's message here and all of what she's done in her own life to help heal her own personal trauma through therapy and then through yoga and somatic release and uh, really taking a trauma-informed approach to her teaching now using all of the different techniques and practices and tools that we have through yoga to help heal people on a on a one-to-one basis individually or also collectively as a group so i let you listen to tara now thank you for tuning in and from russell and i we wish you all very merry christmas happy holiday season Um, i hope you are enjoying time away from your computers and maybe listening to this podcast preparing dinner or wrapping presents or doing something really nice for yourself and your loved ones but lots of love from us to you happy holidays hi welcome to the finding harmony podcast i'm your host harmony and i'm here with my co-host oh goodness russell kate good morning everyone and we are joined today by a beautiful woman tara mitra hi tara how are you doing hi harmony i'm hi russell i'm amazing thank you my how are my you fellow canadian sister Yes, nice. <laughs> definitely. I love those accents. <laughs> Did we meet at Shevkit's house in Mysore and Gokulam? Did we meet at a big like uh, cheese party? We did. Oh, we did. yeah, that was That's you. That's right. Okay. That's right. Over, yeah. over Turkish tea. Turkish tea and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you That's been true. to Have you been to Turkey? I haven't, no. Oh, my goodness. I got really tired of cheese. It started to hurt <laughs> physically. It's like I can't, I can't face another cheese tray, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like after like day 10, I'm like, this is... It's too much. It's, it's like spending time with your parents, Harmony. It's yeah. like I can't stand, I can't have another glass of wine. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you'd be ready for a punch of karma. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> big time, big time. <laughs> Well, I remember meeting you, Tara. We met at um, one of those cafes, a breakfast cafe, and it was uh, one morning, I don't know, that one that was on the main street. Oh. Do you remember what it was called? Oh, this is um, at this Manju's place. No? Yeah. It's Sri Durga. Sri Durga Bhavan. No, not Sri Durga Bhavan. It was like uh, uh, Western, like one of those Western places. Oh, that I know got exactly what you're talking about. I haven't been in there for so long, but I, I know, know exactly what you're talking Not about. Not the one with like the the pesto salad on the. No. If you go from the main shallow on the left. Yes. I'm like, what is it called? It's not Santosha. It's the no. other one. Yes. So. I know. I can't remember either. I can't. I didn't I can't go there either. very much, but it because it was kind of newer, and uh, I don't know. I just always ate at home. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too. Which is why okay, I okay, remember wait, meeting you wait there. A second, wait a second. It was like the one time I laid out. Harmony. Exactly. Why don't do the two of you like describe your actual experience of meeting each other? <laughs> uh, well, I was, I'm trying to. Um, Who is this beautiful woman? You said yeah, no. You know, we were inter- to each other. No, we were introduced by um, Nimu. 
Nimu introduced me to you, Nimu Murti. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And um, Nataraja. That's Nataraj, her husband, right? yes. Oh, yeah. No, they're lovely. Oh, they're so sweet. <laughs> and Nimu introduced me to you as um, like a yoga teacher from LA. And ah, so okay. I didn't even know you were Canadian until yesterday this morning. Like this morning. <laughs> yeah, you you announced it to me this morning. It was like she's Canadian. I was like, yeah, I know. Do you read the questions, Harmony? Um, you know what? We should probably give, give our listeners. They've been very patient with us. We should give our listeners a, an introduction so they know who we're dealing with. Uh, would you mind if I read an introduction, Tara? No, please go ahead. <clears throat> Taramitra <laughs> is the founder of Taramitra Yoga. She is the former apprentice and now assistant teacher to our Saraswati Joyce and the Shri K at the Shri K Patabi Joyce Ashtanga Yoga Research Institute in Mysuru, India. Ms. Mitra studied pranayama at the ICYHC. Can you pronounce this word? Kavalyadam Yoga Center. Thank you. In, in her previous life, Tara studied culinary arts at the George Brown College Center for Hospitality and Culinary Arts in Toronto. And you famously sold your wine <laughs> cellar from your bed in Gokulam and used the proceeds to live there for like another four years? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I, I, I was struggling with it. I couldn't get a handle on, on where you grew up. Like, are you, was your wine cellar in Sonoma? Are you Canadian? Did you grow up in Toronto? No, I'm very Canadian. So I grew <laughs> up in Toronto. Um, I grew up in Toronto, and then I moved to Vancouver when I was about, I, I think it was the 2003. When Do you remember that blackout, that big grid blackout from here to New York? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I and do. So I drove out of that. <laughs> I packed my car, and we drove out of Toronto with a friend and went to Vancouver. Because of the blackout. Wow. You were like, we, we had enough. A, we've had enough of this. We're going to the other coast. <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> it's a good reason, no. Get as far away from Toronto as possible. <laughs> well, you it was were, already in the works. You were, you were cooking in Toronto. You'd graduated school and you said, I've got a, I found a restaurant in Vancouver to work at. What were you, what were you thinking? So I actually never cooked in restaurants because... I loved cooking so much, I didn't actually want to do it for a living. And it was one of my passions. So actually, when I studied at George Brown, I also, in tandem, I studied um, food and beverage management along with the chef pre-apprentice. I feel like someone should have told us that about yoga, right? Like, if you really love yoga, don't teach it. (laughs) Just practice. Well, if you want to be any good at it, don't teach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Just, just be in your zone and just keep loving it. Some Don't our, try to make a living. Some of our best exactly. practitioners just like stayed in their little cave in Malaysia or Oregon and never taught. And they're amazing mm. still. Yeah. yeah. Um, so beautiful. So you, what drove you to Vancouver? What pulled you there? I think it was just change. Mm. Yeah. And some ideas, opportunity. And the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I love Toronto, but the snow. And it's just, I've got the Indian blood in. I'm cold all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and the summers are very hot. Summers are very hot. Exactly. And winters so are very the sunshine. Cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and were you practicing yoga at this point? Had you already started? 
I started actually when I got to Vancouver, so very shortly after that. So I went to Vancouver 2003, and then early 2004, I started practicing just because of the the stress from the industry, to be honest, the job I had. You know, I number these questions, Harmony, from start to finish. (laughs) Um, So, well, I'm still trying to figure out about this wine cellar. How did you have such a massive collection like how did i've got like three bottles but they're not going to last me four years <laughs> especially if you sold them they would be worthless you have to stop drinking them first so like you were yeah that i'm i yeah i'm just i'm just kind of i'm real i'm fascinated by what your career looked like what your stature was you know can you describe yourself at that at that time sure um so I was at the time that I left my left the industry. I'd already been in hospitality for 18 years, and I was a food and beverage director, uh, a multi-unit uh, restaurant director, and uh, sommelier. And then at the end, I was actually also an educator at the local college of hospitality, and then I was also a Bordeaux educator and and teaching with WSET as well. So I was really heavily into the wine world, getting ready, ramped up to write my masters of wine. Wow. And then the Olympics came in yeah. <laughs> and it was, um, in Vancouver, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Yeah. The yeah. winter Olympics 2010. And that impacted your, your career. <laughs> it seemed to be some strange mass exodus for, I think eight or nine sommeliers walked out that year. Wow. But, what? Really? Yeah. Why? I'm not sure what it was, but I mean, for me, I, I, there were so many different signs to, to move on and to leave. And I just wasn't paying attention to them over and over again. And then I, you know what, truthfully, I got a phone call from my California mom, beautiful woman. She lived in Sonoma and she said, you know what, do you think that you can come here? And she had this beautiful garden, like almost like a, just, um, this oasis in the back of in, in behind her house. And then she had this beautiful glass house and she said, why don't you come here and live with me and make wine? Oh, <laughs> I, I giggled and said, it'll never happen because I was taking myself very seriously then. Right. <laughs> the world couldn't survive without me was what I had thought. Not really, yeah. but yeah. yeah um, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was just simply so. Yeah, I thought about it. And then actually after a year, I just, she had planted that seed. Mm-hmm. And one year later, when, um, I mean, I was doing too much. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to be the professor at the college and full-time job. And my phones were ringing, like I was 12 hours a day minimum. And my phone was ringing from 8.30 AM till midnight. Even wow. when I wasn't there, my phone was there, but it was amazing because I had this photographic memory for where a wine bottle would be. So when somebody couldn't find it, I'd be like, go into the cellar, walk left, walk into Burgundy, three rows down on the left-hand side, you see a yellow capsule. It's like, that's your bottle. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a useful So skill. people would like call you at 1130 <laughs> and be like, we can't find this wine bottle. Where is it? Exactly. Oh my yeah. God. That's amazing. Do you know Kistler? Uh, I know of the wine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I remember exactly where I was in space and time the very first moment I ever drank one and I thought you know it, it was like I've I've mentioned this on um the show before because we had a sommelier on the show before and it was I said it was something like having 
like a shotgun blow off in my face. And I was like, what was that? <laughs> and it was like, it was a like Kistler Pinot Noir. Do you have any bottles like that left that you could send us? <laughs> Nothing left. It's all cleaned out. I oh. sold and literally sold it by hitting send in my, from my computer. <laughs> wow. D- did you also have a photographic memory for, for smell? It, is it, did, is that how your brain works? Is that why you were a sommelier in the first place? I think it just goes hand in hand. So because like the food and the wine go hand in hand. And so I grew up in the kitchen. And so I under, I already understood the taste and and combinations and what worked with what. And so uh, when I became sommelier, it's like you start building your, your nose bank. That's how I would Mm. always, um, I used to teach it. Of course, I've always taught. It just changed over the years. Yeah. (laughs) I used to teach this program of uh, like a sensory uh, overall five-day sensory course and just to understand how our senses work and yeah you really are just building the nose bank and all the different scents and you know for, if many sommeliers have different uh, specialties and mine was food and wine pairing that's what I focused on could you give us a, an example of like um, of a lesson or, or a challenge that you would give your student to build a, a, a nose bank Oh yeah, it's like go to the grocery store, go to the farmer's market and mm-hmm. just smell everything. Go to the, the river and pull up a pebble in the little, the, the bubbling um, river that's going by and smell the pebble. Mm-hmm. If you're brave enough, you can lick the pebble. <laughs> and then like smack your mouth and breathe, breathe in and then exhale through your nose and really get the, the, the bouquet of the pebble. <laughs> Yeah, well, most of it's on the, you can smell thousands of different things, but you can only taste a few tastes. So if they, if they understood everything that they were smelling, then that would actually be able to, because most of it's blind tasting. So you start to have to really pull from, uh, from the source. So long time ago though, but yes. It's probably why I ate so much dirt as a child was that I was trying to. um, That would explain the Pinot Noir that you love so much. Exactly. So you, I'm really, I'm really interested in in this part of your history that you grew up in, in the kitchen and you grew up in your mom uh, with your mom cooking. Was she a French chef? Was she was she sitting on the ground rolling chapatis in the kitchen? What what was that? What did that look like? My mom was uh, she cooked internationally, and I think that was what was the the coolest thing about it is that um, every that we had eight from meals from all over the world, from Spain to France to Italy. She would just continually be making different pastas and sauces and desserts and she baked a lot as well so it was just she loved the joy of cooking so the joy of cooking is our handbook (laughs) we kind of grew up with this and she loved Julia Child and so anything and everything she was just more I think it was her space to just create and be free we have the we have the joy of cooking in our kitchen as well Uh, yeah we have it right next to the joy of sex we put them right next to each other on the (laughs) nice in our kitchen in our kitchen yeah Yeah. (laughs) harmony's dad saw it once and i saw he was very uncomfortable (laughs) and i'm sure he didn't want to eat in that kitchen (laughs) no it's not a nice place for people to be um they're up quite high you know. <laughs> you, you have to work yeah. a little to well find we them. we clean yeah, the counters uh <laughs> every morning um so, uh, so why wouldn't you then why wouldn't you then go into a, a kitchen professionally because i mean, that's i did that when i was in high school i went in 
and I worked weekends and I didn't have a social life. And I just, I just cooked and washed dishes. And like, that was a whole career that I could have, I could have gone in that direction if I hadn't been fired by the, by the chef <laughs> for insubordination. Um, oh, you never see that coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, why didn't you do that? She said she wanted, she loved cooking. So but why wouldn't you want to do that in the kitchen and in a professional kitchen? Well, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I did wash dishes anyways, because, you know, really a manager is a glorified dishwasher. So I'm <laughs> still doing all those things. <laughs> You probably chopped really, a few vegetables too. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Pastry. I was always in pastry, cutting up strawberries, fanning them out. <laughs> right. Oh. So, mm. Yeah, I think um, it, it was just, it was so much of a, a joy and a passion. And it was, for me, before I got into yoga and practicing yoga, that was more of my moving meditation. There's a silence for me and just this artistic and the creative form. And I would just go in the kitchen and I could be there for hours mm. yeah. and just silently be be in that space and I still love that I still really like it so I'm still the one I'd rather use a a clay earthen pot that will cook slowly than the pressure cooker for my dolls and things so and I know that feeling exactly like it's it's um it is a kind of meditation that's not dissimilar from painting or sitting but cooking is that same it's the same kind of space Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but your your father is Indian. Is he? <clears throat> I heard he's from Hyderabad. Is that correct? Like like Deepika yes. is. Yes, my father's from Hyderabad. Yeah. Okay, and but I think your parents divorced when you when they were quite young. So you didn't. Did you have a lot of interaction with him? I did. We saw they did. Um, they separated when I was about two. So yes, quite young. Um, but I saw him. I saw him every weekend and. My father's very animated. Yeah, he likes to tell lots of stories. So he'd be very excited when we came. And he'd be like, okay, have a seat. And he'd tell stories about Krishna and like and Rama, sing Telugu songs. But my father himself is, yeah, so sweet. But his name is Gopala Krishna. So there's Krishna everywhere. The, all of yeah. actually the entire family is Murali or one name of one avatar of Krishna or another. Amazing. <laughs> Did you cook with him? My father is very traditional. I don't think he knows what the inside of a kitchen looks like. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you he didn't does. actually <laughs> you, you didn't actually then grow up cooking much uh, Indian cuisine then? No. No. This was a, a big uh, feat for me to learn. Okay. Very cuz very different flavors. My mother cooked uh, cooks and cooked well because she was also married to my father and and the precursor is to learn the the family masala. So <sighs> Right. <laughs> she, had to, she had to go and get trained. So she understood. <laughs> she had the masala down. Oh, so like, she does, exactly. Yeah. When my mom w- went to study Hebrew, it was like a kind of very similar yeah. thing for you to, for her to study the masala. Yeah. I see. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask if you would feel comfortable talking about is, because um, you, you, you've mentioned a kind of, uh, uh, trauma history or, or, uh, you know, a need for, for therapy from, from growing up in the home that you did, but it, it sounds it on the outside so far, it sounds beatific, you know, growing up cooking with your mom and seeing your dad on the weekend, but 
I, I think you had a, a difficult relationship with a stepfather. Yeah. Can you describe yeah. that for us? Sure, yeah. Um, so my mother remarried right, right about the same time around when I was two. And so, um, yeah, I think it was just, you know, growing up, my stepfather was quite a um, intense person, I could say. Yeah, so he was um, very strict and uh, ch- children are to be seen, not heard, and all of these different things. Um, whereas my birth father is completely opposite. So there was this big contrast, this very strict home. And then go to my dad's house and he was like, hey, let's play, let's party, let's, let's, right. let's dance and sing. And so you have these continual contrasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look at it as, I mean, my stepfather, like being being raised into that space and, and being in that space for 12 years in an incredibly abusive environment and home and just walking on eggshells, yeah, just living with somebody that I said he was an intense person himself, but he was also in himself raised in an intense environment. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you know, that that walking on eggshells feeling for us and just waiting to see who's going to get hit next or whatever Ooh. would happen. And mm-hmm. so it's not really a settling way to grow up. Um, no. But I also knew I had a choice to break the chain of dysfunction. That was my motivating factor. So I used to say this all the time when I was younger. I was like, okay, what am I, how do we look at this, right? I'm not going to let the rest of my life be lived by my past. So how can I, how can I break this chain? Mm-hmm. And so I began to heal and I started continually look. I mean, you named the type of therapy. I have tried it. <laughs> so that was part of it. I mean, from the time I didn't take it seriously until I was about 18. And mm-hmm. then when I became 18 then I was really diligent and I tried like I mean of course we start in talk therapy and you know after 10 years of doing talk therapy and studying uh, psychology and trying to understand the mind I started practicing yoga and that mm-hmm. sort of helped me get a bit deeper once the movement came in I think they both helped hand in hand um, and now I still continue that work but I, I do study with the deep intensive study with the yoga sutras and so looking at the yoga sutras as we are in the world and so it's similar it's very very fascinating actually how how um, closely interlinked you know so Mm -hmm. we're all I mean everyone's suffering everyone has different deep pains and pain is relative so I won't take it away but you know these deep wounds they take time to heal yeah, but I believe there's also a gift from that. So, I mean, I don't believe things happen for a reason. This somehow my karma, this is what I was born into. So what, what, what is the reason? Yeah, where's my dharma? How do, I, how do I do this, something with this, instead of just getting sucked into it? And so that's been sort of my feet. It's been 29 years of healing work I've been doing so far. Mm-hmm. And what I notice is that, that um, it's deepened my ability to help others. I really feel that. What is yeah. incredibly confusing, uh, you know, it, you know, watching my father be violent with with uh, his stepson, my brother, um, you know, seeing the the choices my mom made with with my other stepfathers that I've had, uh, where where you're kind of in this position where you're seeing your beloved parent, you know, prefer another person over you, the child, and you're and you're like, why is why is my mom putting this guy first? You know, why is he before me? And it's, it's super confusing and frustrating. And I still see it with my brother today that he harbors a, in pockets a lot of resentment 
and you see you see these things build up in the body and just the way that the body holds itself and i think you um i've seen a psychotherapist now really more and more pushing a a physical therapeutic as a as a tonic for these trapped resentments yeah like somatic release exactly exactly yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah the yoga is amazing that way it really um, you really kind of get to the essence of those trapped emotions, sometimes very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some are deeper than others, but absolutely, I completely mm-hmm. agree with that. You can just you feel like I can continually feel. I'm like, okay, here, something's boiling up. I can look at it. I can review it. And here's how I can deal with it, or I can work with it this way and that way. So it's just, it's fascinating. And I think it's, the asana is really beautiful, but the deeper levels as well, like when, when you're ready, the pranayama is so subtle so beautiful so powerful and then the meditation as well when you can sort of stop and observe what's actually happening instead of getting looped into it like I like to call it like the cotton candy of dukkum (laughs) sitting in there and just building building it instead of getting caught into that it's just can I sit outside and observe what's actually happening Mm. and so it's this beautiful space I find it um yeah I find the practice so incredibly powerful and healing and yeah it's it's yeah yeah, the pranayama, we share that history with the Kavalyadam teachings and and um, I just love the way that they teach that it's so authentic and like connected and rooted in the history, the Hatha Pratapika, the very traditional mm-hmm. practices and their sort of gradual um, building so that like anybody can start to learn pranayama at a capacity that is you know, beneficial and healing for them. And then you can watch your practice grow and deepen over years and years and years. We, um, we really should be finished third series first. <laughs> I mean, that's my experience. <laughs> and I, I also feel like that's just so powerful. Um, you know, it, I mean, in hand with the asana, but then even beyond the asana, because you can notice like when you are having sort of anxiety or even just like unconscious stress, how it changes your ability to breathe when you observe your breath on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I, I work with uh, a lot of like one-to-one yoga therapy students and I use all the different types of pranayama. It's just absolutely fascinating, the power of the breath. I mean, it's linked directly to the mind. So if we can mm-hmm. control the breath, you can control the mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Forgive me, I want to just kind of dig a little bit deeper. I, I feel, I understand that you left home when you were 15, you left that abusive environment that must've been very confusing for you with your relationship to your mom. But that's still amazing to me that anyone would leave home at 15. Can you, can you tell us how that happened? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I think I, I, my personality is one that um, I always believe in justice. I have this, I was born with it. So my oldest, I'll tell you a very quick story, but my very first sentence was my sister had pushed me over and I said, say sorry, Tisa. Like I was, that was the very first sentence I ever made. <laughs> say sorry, Tisa. <laughs> mm. so Demand like, the a, correct. Uh, vigilante justice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Back and I carry that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do I, actually. I always want to have, I always demand justice in every situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if something's going on, I mean, but it's good if it's something's happening that's that's not correct. I'll be the first one in the middle of it. <laughs> think about dying later. I'm like, oh yeah, I could have. <laughs> but I just don't think like that. But um, yeah, I think um, when I when I decided to leave, it was, yeah, it was more of a, my my... We just weren't getting along. I didn't really know my mother because she was working a lot. Yeah, I'd, those really young times, you know, when you're a child, everything seems so magical and you can hang on to that magical moment for quite a bit of time. And so we spent time cooking in the kitchen together, but it became less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And then she worked longer and longer and longer hours, which is why I worked the way I worked, right? I watched her. Mm-hmm. She was the mentor that I saw and she'd be working anywhere from it knows I don't even know she'd leave at nine eight in the morning and then come back at midnight or something like that so we just didn't see her near the end um so no we just you know it, it became almost like living with a stranger so just a, a strained relationship and it's not now yeah I've done a lot of work and, and spent a lot of time with her and tried to work with it but at that time, I'm 15. You're just a kid, right? That's a, such yeah. a rotten age. <laughs> Anyways, like most 15 year olds are, it's it's a hard, a hard phase in life. And then there was a lot of change in the environment, and um, I wasn't comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, then I I, I change it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't believe in forcing myself to be in situations that are not, uh, yeah, just don't work. So. I was young, but I left. <laughs> but where would where, where did, did you, you go? go? Yeah, I was with friends. I was, I had uh, a lot of friends, so I stayed with friends, and the parents of the friends were really sweet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I kind of did that for a bit. For this, yeah, for a couple of years, and then my other sisters um, had a falling out, and then they moved out, and then we all lived together. So, wow. was there three of you? I have, yeah, three sisters and a brother, but my brother lives with my dad. So three girls, though. We're three girls and uh, four girls in five years. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of little babies all very close together. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> so we were really close. And I think that was also yeah. part of the factor what what made it okay in that environment. Because mm-hmm. although perhaps my mother didn't hold me or anything else, my sisters and I were close. And so someone was always, we were always cuddling each other. So yeah. there was that that contact. And yeah. Did you start working right away as a fifteen-year-old? Were you, were you in school, living? Were, were you also working on the weekend like that? Um, so when I was fifteen, I, I I was very convincing. So I went to the school and I wrote them and I convinced them to tell me that I can not be in school. <laughs> I had the head of the school um, write me a note. But then mm-hmm. I went back to school because my life is all about education, as you can probably, I haven't yeah. stopped educating. So <laughs> I did that just for the last six months or for six months. And then I went right back. And, yeah. um, but I could just, you know, it was a very confusing time. Like you'd said, when I'm 15, leaving the house, what do I do? All these different emotions. And so, um, yeah, I was working at that little, I'm trying to remember, I worked at a crystal stand and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked at these, just these little places where you were um, in the mall close by I just would work there so I didn't get into restaurants until 18. Okay and is that when you went sort of going to George Brown as well? I went to George Brown a few years after that about three years afterwards Mm -hmm. and so I had been working in um yeah I was actually managing at 18 
So I started working and then within six months they made me a manager and then it was these roving casinos, these, these unique places. But yeah, I had been working there and then, uh, yeah, it was, it's a lot for an 18 year old being in management. And so yeah. <laughs> from, by 23, I was a general manager of, of one of the biggest pubs and then it just kept going. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you grow up in a house like that, that's the, for me, that was the difference, right? I didn't really, I wasn't really a kid just on weekends with my yeah. dad. And so there was this intensity level where it just performance, performance based, right? Be perfect, mm-hmm. do this, do that, educate, get good grades. And so it just became this entire world of performance, whereas that was a lot of undoing. Now I am happily, I tell Rob all the time, I'm like, no, I actually just don't need to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I try to tell Harmony that, but she doesn't really go for it. Um, (laughs) So, uh, so you told us that you've, you left Toronto and you went to Vancouver and then um, the Olympics um, had a very negative impact on you and you went down to Sonoma. The Olympics, yeah. <laughs> it had a negative impact on Calgary as well. Um, then you're in Sonoma, you're, you're making wine. And I think things, did things start to build up and kind of fall, fall apart for you where you felt like you needed to do something else? You know, when I, when I went to, um, when I, when I went to, I don't know if things were falling apart. It was more a change and I was doing a lot again because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I noticed that within immediately, all of a sudden, I have four jobs. Yeah, oh, wow. I was, yeah. I mean, because when I left, it was, okay, I'll make wine. Is just, that was really a one-off, right? Or two, two right. vintages, like a garagiste. But really, the big thing was... Um, so could you say that a, a garagiste? A garagist. Oh, I fantastic. Put... What a fantastic <laughs> word. I know exactly what that means. I've never heard it before. I want to be a garagist. <laughs> and you can. <laughs> oh, wow. That's probably actually how I would describe myself as a painter. I'm a garagist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what else then did you start doing? What else did you take on? So when I moved, um, when I moved, I wanted to focus a bit more on yoga and so that was yoga Mm -hmm. became a huge part of my life um more more full-time but then I was actually then I needed to actually make some money to survive so right (laughs) um in the beginning it's like yeah as you know that but um I was working at an educational company and I was doing um I was their head of um their production and they really created these educational videos. And so I would be in charge of all the voiceovers. I was managing the entire, the office and all the overall staff um, in production. So I did that. And then at the same time, I, I would wake up at five. <laughs> it was, oh no, I would wake up at 2.30 to practice and mm-hmm. be home and change and shower and be at work at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> Good God. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was almost five hours before I needed to go to work that I would, uh, that I would wake up. And then I was also on the weekends, I was working at the farmer's market because I love food and I wanted to know what grew in what season. It was different from where I grew up. Um, and then I was, then I did an a, um, internship at a winery hmm. one summer. Oh. Yeah, really cool little boutique winery. And so, yeah. 
And that's um, where I tore my ACL, but yeah. Can, oh, you, wow. can you tell us how that happened? I have it here on the question list. You mentioned that you tore up your ACL. How did that, and that actually maybe prompted you towards yoga, I think. She was already, was already doing yoga. You're already yeah. doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was Adams. practicing, yeah, lots for a while then. I'd been practicing for seven years or, yeah, a little over, almost eight years, I think. Maybe even longer. I have a, yeah. a quick question before we get to yeah. the ACL. Oh, okay, please. Because um, you started in Vancouver. Where did you, what kind of yoga did you start with? Like, how did you, it sounds like you were into practicing Ashtanga yoga. Not many like vinyasa practitioners get up at 2.30 in the morning to do their yoga practice. So what kind of like, where did you start and how did you find the Ashtanga practice? So that, well, the start actually was in uh, Whistler when I was, I was lived and worked in Whistler for two years. Yeah. And so while I was there, I, the first five years was, was a bit of a, a mismatch. It would yeah. just be any class I can get to. And then I realized after a while, so there was this very sweet studio up, upstairs um, across from where I worked and it was more relaxation classes, which was just fine. I'm should, they would call them Zen or something like this. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was five years of just searching. I just couldn't figure out what type of yoga I liked. So I just kept practicing. And then I realized, oh, I liked Iyengar and Jivamukti and mm-hmm. Maya and Rocket. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> These are all stemming from one place in this Ashtanga right. blend. Yeah. Um, not Iyengar, but the other ones were all stemming from Ashtanga. And when I Oh, forgive me. That, Iyengar yeah. does stem from Ashtanga. Go on. <laughs> well, Krish, Krishna. Krishna Charya is an Ashtanga yoga teacher. <laughs> that's fair. That's yeah. <laughs> well, okay. That's fair. <laughs> it's morphed quite a bit, but <laughs> it's more so, so is so is my practice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you kind of like traveled, you're just like doing whatever could fit into your schedule, and then you started kind of like understanding or like researching and realize that they all have this Ashtanga yoga thing in common. Exactly. And then I found Johnny Smith. So that's how that went. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I have this idea somehow the, the somewhere you wrote that tearing up your ACL was a kind of turning point for you. And um, is that, yeah. was that correct? It, it was a turning point as well. I mean, so I have this, <laughs> I always joke that I had these three epiphanies and I won't go into them because it would take up the entire podcast, but Mm. (laughs) it was these moments of, um, it feels like when I tore my ACL, it was, you know, I had these moments. I had one in Toronto, I had one in Vancouver and then, um, and each time I moved. So at one time I was living in Vancouver and, um, I was courted back to come back to Toronto and I thought that will never happen. This is just, there's no way. Mm -hmm. But for six months, this gent was courting me and um, courting me for work Mm -hmm. saying, you know, to come back. And I finally, I went back for uh, one year. And in that moment I had a, I had this realization. Um, Anyways, it was, it's a long story, but it was in the subway station and someone had hit me and, I, or I hit them and I didn't know, right. It's so packed and not physical, like not like a purposeful thing. It's just, you're at the corner of Young and Bloor and it's where all <laughs> North, South, East, West trains are meeting and it's, it's rush hour and everyone's just sort of pushing past each other roughly and aggressively. And I thought, what, what in the world, this, this person, this woman hit me or I hit her, I don't know, but our shoulders just 
collided and then I spun around and then I just stopped. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? What, what, what is this life? Why, why, why am I spending my life in this, in this environment? Mm. And I just stood there for a while and then I went in that day and then I, I quit. <laughs> I went back wow. to Vancouver. Wow. Yeah, just, like it was a good realization that I'm mm-hmm. just too much. It sounds a lot like how I ended my first marriage. <laughs> and then you had another epiphany in Vancouver. Is that what the, moved yes, you to Sonoma? That's what moved me to Sonoma, exactly. And so from there, then again, I was doing this, but it was just in, in lesser forms. So Sonoma looked more magical. It was warm, and but yet I had these four jobs and it was the first day of harvest and we weren't ready. Yeah, the, the winery wasn't ready. Um, and it was fine. We had the dream team on. It was we were all sommeliers and, and wine people. It was just mm-hmm. the the winemaker, the the owner, the vineyard or the the cellar manager, and then just one other intern who was a, a winemaker and myself. And I was up on the hopper and um I we didn't have like you should have a ramp that's put up so that I'm up to two feet higher but we didn't have that so they put up anti-slip tape on the railing and I had good balance because of all the yoga so I thought yeah no problem (laughs) it was it was quite good and I had done this the 10 times and I think it was the 11th the 11th time I slipped Uh. I just I lost my footing and I just my foot hit the the metal walkway and when it landed it twisted and you could just hear the snap oh yeah Yeah. And then I was completely like, I I finished, I cleaned out everything and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. And then I woke up and my knee was uh, 10 times the size. Yeah. And so I was literally out, like I I couldn't move. And I just looked up and I'm like, okay, Bhagwan, (laughs) I'm done. I hear you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And then, so what, what happened after that? Did you move somewhere else or? So I was, I stayed in Sonoma and I mm-hmm. was, you know, it was, it was a nice time because I couldn't actually work. So I just took some time off and I would just get on my crutches and I, and I didn't have surgery scheduled for three months. So during those three months, I just went to the ashram every morning. I did meditation there at five thirty six a.m. And I would just sit and I would just, you know, first I sat in the chair and then slowly went to the mat or slowly went to high pillows, bolsters, and then finally onto the the mat and just was transforming. And I kept going there actually um, in between when I wasn't doing, because I couldn't practice. I wasn't, I was off my mat for, I think nine months or it was six months could it, before I could even move my legs. So yeah, nine months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you were at uh, Johnny Smith's, place at this point practicing with him yeah Yeah. I just wanted to know if you could describe him or and meeting him for the first time and set him up for our our audience in some way ah Johnny Johnny Smith he's so sweet he's really um yeah I always think he's my first real teacher Mm. yeah and um you know prior to going to that class I had a really strong competitive base <laughs> I was a, I used to be a runner and I mean most of that all settled down um with the ACL accident but um you know Johnny's really a very humble man 
he's very kind and he's funny and he's sweet, mm-hmm. just a really genuine person. Um, I remember when we used to sit after lead class and we'd have conference and he would well up each time. Like he just see tears fill his eyes and it was just with pure gratitude that we would even want to learn from him. <laughs> he's sweet because he's always like, everyone was always joking that, well, he never really wanted to teach. And he's like, yeah, I don't think he really, who knows if he did or not, but he was an absolutely beautiful teacher. Mm-hmm. And he's a beautiful person. I still talk to him every now and again. So I really, really, um, yeah, I really admire him. And I thought he was a beautiful role model. We used to wake up. I, I remember really early morning. I, so I used to get there at 4 a.m., which was 45 minutes from my house. And uh, it was only about two or three other people. And we'd sit in this circle with uh, a little lamp or a candle. And Johnny would start to teach us chanting. <laughs> so sweet. Wow! really some of my favorite memories we just uh, sat around and do some call and response mm-hmm. until everybody else arrived yeah I completely I can that that so much um echoes my whole experience of Johnny he's just such a a great sage mm-hmm. not maybe not knowing it to look at him he's just such a very normal looking person like Krishna, you know, a very middle-sized mm. person, <laughs> uh, not some kind of massive athlete or, or skinny ascetic, uh, uh, a, a farmer and a very kind, extremely kind man. Yeah. Yeah. Very genuine. Did mm. you, did you uh, relate to him at all in, in terms of, of, uh, of the farming aspect? Cause I, I, I have my uh, my thought is that that's very important to him. The the farming, the farming is very important to him. Yes, and you know, I did relate to him. I we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it mm-hmm. because I was still in this uh, running in and out of the shala, you know, continually mm-hmm. on the go because I had to get back for for work or. But um, so we didn't spend a lot of time. I knew he was a farmer I, and, and he'd talk about occasionally he moving when he was moving and getting a, a moving to a different farm. I remember that. But no, I did like I did like him even more, though, because I love farmers. Yeah. <laughs> Always loved a farmer and I was working for farmers back in Sonoma. So. Yeah. And I still love farmers. Rob's family's from farmers. So, wow. Yeah. Well, I was just curious how you were driving 45 minutes there and then practicing and then driving 45 minutes back. Yeah. In my yeah. 1970 Volkswagen bug. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's in- I mean, it's just incredible because I think like we had to kind of work so hard to find teachers of yoga back in the day. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and you know, now I remember teaching like on Vancouver Island. And, you know, if it was like a 10 minute drive, it was too far for people, you know, to go. And, and I just like kind of reminded me, you know, of, of how, how much effort we put into like finding teachers to practice with, or like, you know, making that commitment to, to the practice. And it's, it's just really something special, I think that made the practice even like more valuable in a way. Absolutely. I still feel like that, though. I still, I mean, I search the world for for purity in my teachers and to make sure that I'm mm. learning from from people that have pure knowledge. I, it's very difficult. 
to find find um there are a lot of teachers yes to yeah. find te- teachers that are very genuine and real I mean everybody has something to teach so um but yeah 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 I mean yeah. that space was so magical I mean not magical but I mean it, it, it is in a sense you know yeah. it's your yeah. community those are your friends you see the same people you know sweats flying on each other <laughs> you're, you're connected in some, yeah. some way or another it's just it's this beautiful silence of movement yeah this mm. meditative movement in the dark it's just beautiful you know um harmony has said this about me before that i'm always into some kind of new thing and i'm always kind of got some kind of new interest going and there was a there was a time when my um uh my writing teacher from college had, had made a book about poker and so I'd, I'd become obsessed with poker <laughs> I was playing it all the time and finding games where I could play poker online or looking looking to play uh, Texas Hold'em and um, I was on a game once when I was living in San Francisco and I looked down and uh, I realized that Johnny Smith was a <laughs> yeah. was on my game I remember that and not only was he on my game, but he was like worth millions in this <laughs> online poker money, like yeah. hundreds of oh, millions. Wow. And I, I like, I was like, this is Johnny Smith. And I, and, <laughs> no. I, and I went to go and I was near him once. And I said, Johnny, do you know that we're online friends in the, this Texas, Texas Hold'em tournament? I said, you play poker? And I said, yeah. And I just realized like, this guy is just so neat. You know, he's, he has eclectic interests. He's a normal dude, but he's just like, yeah. he's just doing normal stuff, but with so much mindful presence in his, in his sage-like wisdom yeah. life. And like, I just wanted to be this guy. I wanted this guy to be my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody feels that I way feel about Johnny. Everybody feels that way about Johnny. Like, he also kind yes, of makes everyone feel like they're his best friend too. Yeah. So. Yes. It's just that beautiful presence of non-judgment and yeah. just purity and yeah. And just it's, really it's like, good. yeah, like pure love in a way, right? Pure acceptance. Yeah. Really, yeah, you just always feel so so good when you're around him. And mm-hmm. yeah, he holds that space of appreciation so completely that yeah. that it's and it's the same for everyone i think who are in his sphere you know they just feel really appreciated and treasured even like the joyce family they love yeah. johnny <laughs> i think he calls them once a week he calls india they, just to check in on them they absolutely love saraswati gets so happy every time i mention johnny's name oh johnny, oh, johnny. <laughs> how is he She's, yeah. yeah very very sweet yeah. Can you can you tell us about yourself actually meeting the Joyce? At what point did you say to yourself that you wanted to go to India and meet the Joyces? I think well, I had wanted to go for a while. Um, I bet I just couldn't, you know, with the work schedule, I wasn't able to leave for quite a bit of time, and then so I spent some time practicing with Tim Miller. Um, mm-hmm. You went to Southern California? I know. Sorry. Why? I know. Why would you? Encinitas yeah. <laughs> is a pretty nice place. I don't know. Yeah, Encinitas is like I mean, Never Never Land. There's yeah. no cow and there's so cow for a reason. There's like, <laughs> anyway, I just, 
I just watched the Dodgers beat the Giants. I'm still kind of burned up about it. (laughs) Fair enough. How long did you practice with Tim for? Well, I would go anytime I could. Actually, my sister lives in in uh, in Malibu, so oh. I would go back and forth. Yeah, so I would go back and forth as much as I could, and then I ended up doing his first series and second series trainings with him, and mm-hmm. I just loved him. I just loved his his enthusiasm and his stories of mythology while we're practicing. Yeah. And uh, probably my favorite is that he tells a joke and then waits for you to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Also a very close friend of Johnny Smith's. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I wouldn't yeah. teach him, but I always took permission from Johnny. So that was a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> my One of my favorite Tim jokes is he was teaching us downward dog mm. and he was saying, okay, well, let's make a, now, now make a little hollow in your belly while you're in downward dog. Not a sleepy hollow. <laughs> <laughs> He has all of these jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And so you were with Tim for a while and and then you decided to go to to India. Was that your first time to go? So in between the first and second series trainings with Tim, I I had went to India. Um, Johnny was very sweet one year. The, The first year we were trying to go, uh, he took our applications like the old days. He was adorable. <laughs> and of course he was met with no no things have changed and right. so he came back and he was horrified because he took me and two other students uh paperwork um so I decided to go anyways yeah and, you know I had been to India many times because my family is all in Hyderabad but um uh to practice in Mysore that was the first time and so I had went and I, I practiced somewhere else which uh was unique. It was unique in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a bit uh, interesting. And I think I was the only one there that had already been practicing for a while. So everyone was still learning primary series. And so I ended up just changing the schedule, fixing their meal plan. <laughs> I was like, you can't feed this to yogis. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I was like, well, if I have nothing else to do, <laughs> I might as well help you write the menu and... <laughs> Right. Run a restaurant, yeah. <laughs> Run a restaurant. Let's like look at the adjustment clinic because these times aren't working. And yeah. <laughs> wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, I, as I understand it, on your on your first trip there, the the main shala was closed. You were studying at this other place, and then did you start studying with with Saraswati? Yeah. Well, before I actually went to Mysore, I had practiced with Shrat a few times um, in, in uh, California. Mm-hmm. And then when I just finally, I think it was that same year or the next year, I can't remember, that I went to Mysore and it was the summertime. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of, this was the moment where they were still somewhat teaching together. Although Sharat wasn't teaching, he was still in the room and he knew me, so he was talking to me and adjusting me and you know, this is, uh, I remember I was trying to get my um, citizenship, the OCI card, and right. he would ask me every day, how are you doing? How's the card? And so <laughs> it really feel like there was this disconnect. Mm-hmm. It felt very natural. And then if I went home, I'd come back and bring him coffee when he was drinking coffee still. So yeah, so it didn't feel like that. But sh- but uh, Saraswati, yeah, was, was, the, was the main teacher in the shala. It was all in the main shala anyways. 
<laughs> so she was, it was the time when she was teaching kind of after he had finished teaching his class in a way. Exactly. She kind of like took over the later shift. Well, it, no, because it was summer and he didn't really teach in the summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So he was just like hanging out. <laughs> Come in and go in the office and just check out what everyone was doing, peek around. Right. So, <laughs> can't help himself. No, he can't help himself. And he'd come and like adjust me in a couple of postures. And so it, it's, uh, it's quite, it's nice. The two of them in a room together is such a beautiful dynamic. I really like yeah. it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you told a story about uh, then when the summer was over, uh, he was starting back up the classes and you had a, a choice to make. Can you tell us that story? Ah, uh, yes. That was a tricky one. So partly this this justice or me doing things correctly i felt there's you know in in all the talk in my stories you can't switch from teacher to teacher and all of these different things and i thought you know i'm i'm not one to to gossip so i just go straight to the source and figure it out (laughs) (laughs) i decided just to go straight to saraswati and said listen ma um i was just about to go and practice with sharat i'm already registered i said but mm, there's supposed to be that you only have one teacher. So if I practice with you and then practice with Sharat and then come back to you, I said, there's some confusion. <laughs> she just looked at me and she smiled and she says, yes, you're my student. You stay with me. Mm. <laughs> and she took That's, it very seriously. Yeah. It was, it was very beautiful. Mm. And so then, then what did you do? Because you'd already signed up to practice with Sharat. Oh, yeah, I just didn't show up. I mean, I saw this. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, he give you, did he give you a nasty look? I've gotten those <laughs> by the exactly. hundreds. Yeah, I didn't exist for a while. But that's yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No longer existing. But, I, I mean, I was so close with the family. It didn't matter. I was in, in the house, and so I'd see them inside all the time. It, doesn't, it didn't feel like, and I don't get bothered oh. by it. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. And because they were all living together still in the same house at that point. No, actually, Charette had just um, gotten his house. Okay. Next, yeah, but everybody's yeah. still, they come visit and everybody's, yeah. Shami's coming from Bangalore and then he's coming in and the kids were running around. They were always in the streets and coming in and out of the house. And right. So much time with the kids when they were really small. So. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just, I'm just remembering I, one time Saraswati asked me to sub her class when she was going to Russia and uh, she asked me to come upstairs and, and she would explain all the details. And I was sitting there with, with uh, Amaji and um, what is Shurat's wife's name? Shruti. Shruti. I was sitting with, with Shruti and Saraswati and Saraswati is going over the details with me. And then Shurat came in. And he was like, you could see what was going on. And he was already angry and already frustrated that I was, that I was doing this thing, which I didn't understand, you know, why this was, a, was obviously a problem. In the hindsight, I can see it's obviously a problem. To me, I'm just like, I'm helping out the family. I'm being, I'm being Johnny Smith. Like, you guys need help? I'll, you know, I'll help out. <laughs> but he was so furious with me for agreeing to sub Saraswati's class. I, I, I'm, just, I'm curious how, um, you know, how you might have negotiated this. Uh, did 
because to me it seems like there's like there are all these kind of um special circles in Mysore, you know, of, of people trying to get closer and closer to the family and penetrate these these circles of relationships. And I'm I'm wondering if if you were you know having to negotiate this, you know, being being on Saraswati's side or you know being close to the family, but you know, not being Sharat's student. I wonder if 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 you were experiencing any kind of disconnects. You know, I didn't when I when I went to be Saraswati's apprentice, you know, there was this beautiful time that I didn't, it, it felt like it was just me and her. It really did at some points and the whole world would just fall away because I would just sit next to her on the chair and she would tell me stories. I know hmm. she told me everything about her. I told her everything about me and, you know, we laughed, we cried, you know, everything. And it's always the same. It's okay, Tara. <laughs> it's okay, Tara, no matter what it was. And so, and she would giggle. She would smile and laugh and it, we would sing together. We even learned bhajans together. And then she's like, I don't know why I tell you everything. I tell you everything. Like she would tell me everything. Wow. Well, like when to take the oil bath, what oil? Like she, I'd take oil from her home, from castor, from her castor oil. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just so beautiful. And then she'd tell me, here's the festival, and in Mysore we cook this. So she'd teach me the recipe, and then I'd make it and tell her how it went. And it was, <laughs> it was really, really beautiful. So I didn't really feel, and, and there, see, you see, in the beginning, there wasn't, it wasn't as intense, right? It was just, mm. it didn't, that for two years, it was quite pleasant. Mm. There was there wasn't any conflict, or I didn't notice it. Maybe I was just in my little magical world. I didn't <laughs> really realize, but um, yeah, I just felt like it was it was quite harmonious. And perhaps there was tension, but is there? There's tension in everybody's home. Mm -hmm. Wow! And what was it like um, learning from her in the room? Like, what was her say teaching style? You know, she's um, she's. It's very sweet and very tough at the mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially when people were in the room, she was always tougher. She was always tough when people were around. There was <laughs> no favoritism. It almost was like it was harder on me. I was like, hey. <laughs> but she wanted, I think she wanted to, to make sure I understood the lessons. Mm -hmm. I remember... Um, it was it was so sweet. So at any any given moment, she could test me. Yeah, mm -hmm. so she was warm and kind, but tough. And like I said before, we were singing and chanting. But you know, I could be any moment, and she would turn around in the full room, and she'd go, "Tara, Mahaganesha Pancharatnam." Oh my gosh! And I'm like, if I make one mistake, she's like, "Eh." And so it's like, oh. wow. And so I had to know, and she'd be checking. She knew everything. I, every day I came in, she'd ask me where I was, who I was with, what I <laughs> ate. She asked me everything. Oh I had who I studied with. And then, you know, she'd also sent me to, I asked too many questions about chanting in the main shala. And I was questioning, just I kept questioning certain things. And mm -hmm. it's my personality. I'm very curious. And then she said, you stop going there. And she sent me to a different teacher. <laughs> <laughs> And I've been with that teacher for seven years now. So. Wow. Funny. Who did she send you to? A Vigneshwar. Vigneshwar Ji. Oh, Vigneshwar. Yeah. He's you know beautiful. Him. So then I was, yeah, because I did puja with him and I just. Yeah, he's wonderful. 
yeah, he's really amazing. So mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time with him. And yeah. It, a, a very funny story was I remember one time, so it was all this, okay, here you learn the Shastra, you, you make sure you do all of these things, you're not hanging out with bad people. Basically, she's testing me on this, right? Mm-hmm. Does she know that you're talking to us? <laughs> No, I haven't told her. <laughs> Good, yeah. We, you don't have. <laughs> no, I didn't tell her a thing, but she'd probably be very happy. She loves you both. <laughs> yeah, my mother's always asking about Saraswati. She adores her. Oh, so sweet. Mm. So after she taught me all these these different uh, things, the chanting and just making sure my tonation was correct and everything else, one day. It was just this. The shala was always very full, as you know. In in um, in high season, mm-hmm. it would be crazy. Like it would be going from for almost like seven hours straight because the shala was smaller. Um, teaching, and at one point she just looked up, and I was about to assist somebody with Urdhva Mukha Pashimatanasana, and I assisted this pose maybe a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Before she specifically taught me, I sh- showed me, and she hadn't said anything for almost a year. And so one day she stood up, and I I went to adjust somebody, and right across the room there was that famous yell. Right, <laughs> it's either you or but this day it was Tara as mm. loud as she could. And I just I froze and I looked up, and she's like, I'm just about to adjust this person, or I was, and she says, not like that. Huh. huh. Like, oh, and I, I was surprised, but she came over and she was very stern. And she says, you do this, you do, very specific, showing me everything, hand placements. Like, we had done it. And I was, I was like, okay. I didn't quite get it, but I was like, all right, no problem. And I just did it. And then she's like, okay. Then five minutes later, literally five minutes later, <laughs> because this is such a common adjustment, I went to do the same thing. And again, across the room, Tara, I said not like that. And I was very surprised. I was like, oh. And she came and get very stern. And yeah. she rarely ever spoke to me like that. And so I was a bit frazzled at that point. And I remember just a bit sh- getting a bit nervous and shaky. I'm like, what? what's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I said, okay, and no problem. I smiled and, you know, no problem, ma. Whatever you want, I'll do it. And then I went to the side. And then again, two to three minutes, someone's struggling, and I kind of was pausing. <laughs> I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I gathered up my courage. I'm like, I'm going to go. I went over to the student and did the exact uh, adjustment, the same one. And she glared at me intensely across the room, and then she said, Tara, very good. <laughs> I was like, whew, my heart was racing. I was like, and I, you know, I thought about that for quite a while. That I went home that day and I thought, what, what is it? And then I said, you know what? I think she's checking my ego. How I yeah. Yeah, she's right check if I'm going to talk back, if I'm going to do this. And of course I didn't, but it was, it was very beautiful and very interesting to watch. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. That's actually one of the few adjustments I've ever received from Saraswati. Oh. (laughs) On my first trip to Mysore, she was in the room and gave me that adjustment in the left class. So you know how much she likes it. It has to be correct. I think so. She must really feel like it's an important one. (laughs) It's cool, actually, because that's really very much like her, her father that uh to like 
for a year or two to go by and you've been doing something the same way every day for a year in front of him. And then one day he'll snap and say, why are you doing it like that? And I'm like, Oh, is, am I supposed to be what's going on? (laughs) And then you learn a whole new way of doing something that you thought you've been doing correctly forever. You know, like, um, Ustrasana, for example, like the lift up out of that. Mm. And then one day, no one's doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> and Alex Medine has to come out from the back to show everyone how to do it right. It's like, oh, I thought this was cool. And it's not what I was doing isn't cool anymore. Okay. No. He'd had enough. He'd had enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's a whole different world. I, I wanted to, to to tell another story about Saraswati that I I just loved. I remember early on practicing and you know Mark Yao was always at that point in say 2004 2005 he was the the savant in the room he was the only one you know alive doing fifth series besides Sharat and and uh he was it was new posture day for Mark and he was doing something like um I think it was like maybe the seventh or eighth new posture in fifth series and I was practicing next to him just randomly in those days. And he was getting new postures all the time. And this one was a, um, it's like going into back bends where you're going to grab your own ankles, but you're, you're standing on your hands. And then you have to do a kind of backflip to put your feet behind your hands. And he, and, and Guruji was walking him through it and yelling at him and, and unintelligible, and Mark was getting really confused and really upset because it's very stressful. You could, you don't know if you're going to be able, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And then Saraswati just marched across the room and in plain, simple, direct English told him exactly what to do. And Guruji is just standing there like, yeah, 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 correct. <laughs> and it was like the realization in my heart at that point, like, oh, she knows this shit. <laughs> She knows it backwards and forwards, and she's as adept in all of this stuff as anyone else alive. <laughs> Fifth series, she has it. Yeah, and I was really stunned by in that moment. Absolutely, I mean, her depth of knowledge is quite good. She studied with Krishnamacharya herself twice. Oh well. wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, I always appreciated was just her like pure sort of devotion that that karma yoga aspect or that, you know, doing her duty and taking care of her father when he was, you know, sick and aging and not well and, you know, needing daily injections of insulin and, you know, incontinent and like doing, you know, he's ailing and aging and she was there sleeping like beside him in his room, making sure he was okay. And, you know, just, really doing service, you know, that selfless service, taking care of, of her father. And that always to me seemed like such a, um, just an amazing kind of act of, of pure devotion and also pure, um, yoga where, you know, it was, it was something that was beyond the asana was really like living, her dharma and her duty and, and, you know, it's not always fun or nice or, you know, it's definitely not ego gratifying, (laughs) but she was, you know, she was the one doing all of that for him. Absolutely. I mean, she, 
She shared so many stories of that. And I mean, the one thing she definitely is incredibly devoted. She's mm-hmm. devoted to the teachings. She's devoted to making sure she knows it and knows it well. She was very dedicated to her father. And the reason that she became so devoted as a teacher is because she told me that her his last words were, you're a good teacher, you teach. <gasps> Beautiful. Oh. And so she took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what she would say about Shrat when she went to go to uh, Manasa. Then she had her small shala. Um, my father said to teach. My father said I'm a teacher. And if I have students that want to be with me, then what is my option? So oh. she, she took it. She takes it very, very, very seriously. And still, even when I call her, she's like, what are you doing? I said, ah, I just finished the Bhagavad Gita again. She's like, huh, now you memorize the whole thing. <laughs> ah, nice. You do. Good luck with that project. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> What's really, you're very eclectic yourself. I mean, you've been all over India studying, you know, yoga vaidya or being in Lanavala. Like you, you've studied Carnatic music. I mean, you're really, you're, as you said, you're very interested in education. You go all over India doing that. Can, can you tell us that? Why wouldn't you just stay in Gokulam like the rest of us? <laughs> I think yeah. some of us. I also <laughs> traveled all over India. I don't like it. It's not for me, this traveling. I like to stay in one place. <laughs> I th- you know, for me, there was a point where I was pondering... If, I, if someone was really sick and they came to me, can I truly heal them? Can mm-hmm. I, would I be able to, to know what to do? And the answer was no. The answer was a very, very solid, clear no. And that was after 10 years of solid Mysore practice. And I thought, well, where's the source? So Krishnamacharya was in um, Mysore, and then he moved to Madras, Chennai, and so I went to him. I went to his students. I went to the students of Desikachar. So that yoga vaidya that I study, I'm almost finished. I'm in the last month. Um, but prior to doing vaidya, I was with one of Krishnamacharya's, the first teacher at KYM, <laughs> who was my mentor. And she sent me to where I am now to do the vaidya because, again, I had too many questions. <laughs> and so, um, you know, to... Can I confidently say that if someone comes in now and if they're sick? Yes, I can. I know. I, I've, mm. I've learned and I have some tools because working with some of uh, Desikachar's direct students and, you know, the teacher there is the direct student of Desikachar. And so I wanted to have a complete understanding, um, not just of, of Ashtanga yoga in the Mysore room. I wanted to understand if someone is sick, if someone's going through surgery or chemotherapy or has major post-traumatic stress, how can I possibly help them? And can I help them? Mm-hmm. Where, where is the deeper information in order to go beyond this? Because this is, this is real, right? Every single, almost every student that I have in the last two years has anxiety, you know, with COVID and everything that's, that's helped. And mm-hmm. do we understand our function? I mean, I also study Ayurveda quite in, uh, intensively because and Sankhya philosophy and everything else, because it's all intertwined. Yeah. And so yoga, yoga and yoga therapy work very well with Ayurveda. And so we used to have that clinic in Mysore. My husband had a clinic in Mysore, and 
where I would teach therapy, he would do the chiropractic, and we had uh, Dr. Padmini, who's the daughter of my mentor. So mm-hmm. Dr. Padmini grew up in the family of uh, Vaidya's healers, and um, she was at the clinic, and so we we still work together to this day. And so wow. it's a beautiful dynamic. So if I have a student, then we bring in the Ayurveda side and then work from a, a yoga perspective. So it's just, it's different. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so beautiful and, and incredible, like the evolution of your practice journey and also like just keep your continuation to keep going deeper and deeper into, um, you know, not just yoga philosophy, of course, the yoga philosophy, but also the healing aspects, Ayurveda, Sankhya, and then integrating them all into sort of this yoga therapy that it sounds like you're doing much more of today. Is that true? Yes, I do. I do both. And I do a lot of um, the last uh, year and a half has been because we're on Zoom. I've basically Mm -hmm. done all one to one classes. And so I've been doing all kinds of case studies and very fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I mean, any condition, we've just been working with it and studying it in depth. And I, I just feel it so that and then chanting, because chanting is incredibly powerful and healing mantra. And Mm -hmm. so I have two mantra teachers as well. So I think the combination of all of it is basically, I mean, that's what Krishnamacharya was teaching. It wasn't just if you have really, really strong, then you can practice. And I think that's just such a, a, an illusion because Ashtanga is for everybody. All yoga is for everybody. It's how are we teaching it? And so I still run Mysore programs and, and teach, but I integrate it for everybody. If someone has a condition, then they just write me, we talk about it, or they tell me in the room, and then I alter it, which is what's supposed to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you still have the community of, of Mysore, but if someone's actually sick, like, uh, you know, recovering from uh, chemo or anything like that, then we work a little differently. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You, you remind me a little bit of, of, my, of my friend, Andrew Hillam, and in that Andrew Hillam had seemed to have created a, a university program for himself of, of teachers that he is absolutely devoted to, but he has a, a variety of modalities. Whereas I, I think I had this sort of naive idea that, you know, one teacher, one, you know, one life and, okay, my teacher's Shriki Patabi Joyce and that's my teacher. And I didn't bother learning anything else because why would I take another teacher? But that's a, that's a very naive approach to say, well, that's my very specific asana teacher. And then if I want to learn chanting or Sanskrit or grammar or pranayama or, pranayama or Carnatic music, then I'm going to need a variety of masters to teach me those things. Exactly. I mean, the, that guru philosophy is, is far from gone. I mean, there aren't many people that are trained as intensely as Krishnamacharya himself. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, he himself was trained in, in, as you already know. But yeah, I think he had like six Vidvans or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's trained in all six Vidvans and then also an Ayurveda doctor, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a... Those people are hard to find these days. <laughs> hard to find. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we might be talking to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're on your way, Tara, I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> with a lot of blessings, maybe. <laughs> so you you fell in love with a chiropractor. I did. When did that happen? <laughs> I was in Mysore, so he's also, he used to practice with uh, uh, Pratabi Joyce as well. And sh- and I think he came, was one of the first students in the new Shala when it first started, and then he was he went to Shirat. Um, mm. 
But yeah, we met in Mysore. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah, he was um, he was teaching anatomy, and so also in my love of learning when I was really looking at asana and how the function of the body works. Um, before I figured out to how to heal, it's all in stages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first figure out how the body works. And <laughs> he would teach some classes, and he was teaching a course on scoliosis. And um, I had already seen him and met him, and I sent a lot of students to him because there's you know if anybody had back pain or other things. And so I knew he was um, good at what he did, but I just hadn't experienced his teaching. So I thought, I'll go to one of his classes. And he was very cute. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like a a big distraction from your education, though. It seems like a lot to have to kind of manage to also have, you know, a boyfriend. (laughs) Fair enough. But the cool thing is he's quite academic. He's always researching and he's, you know, he's been... He was writing a book that's now becoming an online um, anatomy program. He's more than mm. anatomy, and that's sort of has been his life goal. So the beauty about this is, you know, when I do have a student, if something's off or if there's something with their back or a knee injury, it's great because I'm like, one second, <laughs> we have an chiropractor. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> well, looking at you guys on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, you guys seem ecstatically in love. Like, how long you've been together? Like six months. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. I'm like, no, that means we're not aging. No, <laughs> <laughs> we are. Let's see, we're coming up to we're four and a half years, almost five. Oh, nice. Yeah, Four years married in a month. Yeah. Wow. wow. And you were living in Mysore at the time when you met him. Exactly. And he was also living there. He was. And yeah. and so you kind of had this ability to meet each other frequently because nobody was leaving and going home to their own countries. Exactly. It wasn't that yeah. long. Yeah. With, the, with lovemaking, it is very important to meet frequently. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, all the sages know this. Um, but then what happened? You got married in India. But Is now that you, true? But now you're in like Venice or something? What's yeah, going and on then with you? Somehow ended up in Italy. What what yeah. went on? Yeah, <laughs> from playing my harmonium and him coming over for tea. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. This quite, is a, that's quite a long ways away. That's very metaphorical. Long ways away. Yeah. Um, now you're drinking wine and eating pizza. No. <laughs> That's, that's us. I make it awesome. <laughs> I'm still trying to keep the the Ayurveda and the health. But yeah. yeah. Occasionally, pizza. it's hard when you're gluten free in Italy. Oh gosh, yeah. I, can I don't imagine. know why, why would you bother. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Well, Rob studied with Dr. Jag, so he's got a lot of strong opinions on health as well. So yeah, Dr. Jag. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So um, we. Well, so the clinic was actually doing really well and it was booming. And then why we moved is because Rob's mentor from Australia wrote him one day and he'd been his mentor for 10, eight or 10 years and said, hey, you know, I have this job opportunity and I I wouldn't want to offer anybody else except for you because you, he's been coming, going to Australia for so many years and his mentor, Dr. Ian, is like, he's just the ninja of chiropractic. It's just, if if people won't fix this, anybody, they mm-hmm. go to Dr. Ian. 
and and he'll fix them like walking one in half and he's incredible just a really phenomenal chiropractor and so we talked about it and we said you know we we didn't plan on leaving india we wanted to stay there for another five years or so forever really (laughs) we didn't know we were looking for a new clinic just to make it bigger because it was getting so busy wow yeah it was it was so nice that clinic like just beautiful with the double massage therapists as well but um yeah so we decided you know what let's let's um let's try yeah it's such a it's a great opportunity and rob was very gracious and patient with me when i was taking all these classes and assisting and it was it felt like it was a lot about my studies and he was working mm-hmm. it would be nice to give him a chance to go and go and um, expand as well and then we went to the UK for a quick stopover mm-hmm. went to Chennai first and then uh, then to the UK and then COVID happened oh uh, wow yeah and then COVID happened again <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kept happening yeah it just it keeps happening, happening doesn't it? Mm. and so we yeah it was interesting so we were in the UK for a year almost yeah a year because then my visa expired because we weren't planning on staying right and so we went to Italy we thought you know what we'll just come here for three months we'll complete the paperwork and then go back and COVID happened again and then we Rob applied for residency and he received it and then I received res- residency and then we thought well <laughs> in Italy in Italy mm. how could he apply for residency just from working it, before Brexit it was before Brexit. oh of course is he British he's British excuse oh, me oh I understand okay okay, yeah, okay. lucky <laughs> exactly so we're like well maybe and the and so that's, yeah, we're in Italy now, and um, we're just, once, we're, we're doing a couple of workshops coming up, the end of the year, a few workshops, and then in the new year, I'd like to open a shala. Beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. Whereabouts in Italy are you guys located? We're in Sicily. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So it's nice. We both like warm weather, and, you know, it, it, the... The language we have to learn, but it's okay. My Spanish is is we have a good understanding of it, so it's not as hard as as uh, Telugu and Urdu, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> or or um, Canada. <laughs> yes, Canada, exactly. You know, um, what's his name who passed recently? The old time Ashtanga yoga student, um, Cliff Barber. No, the from Maui. Oh, Norman Allen? Norman Allen. Norman Allen was fluent in Canada, and he said that the two languages, Italy and Canada, are very, very similar. Italian and Canada? Italian and Canada, yeah. Oh. He said oh. the structure of them and the sound of them, the rhythm of the languages. Well, there you go, Tara. Yeah. Learn Italian first and then go back and learn <laughs> Canada. Yeah, I was hoping to delve deeper into Sanskrit after Italian, but... <laughs> Apparently, it's helpful too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Well, then, then come to Canada and visit us. (laughs) (laughs) And are your workshops online? Are you do them together as like a team? We do so different ones. Um, Yeah, we'll go to the UK. We're going back to Essex um, to see Joe and and Mikey, and then uh, his family's in Chelmsford, or. 
His family is in uh, uh, Kingsley. Kingsley, yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a horrible place. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful, the British countryside, the English countryside. Oh, my, well, okay. Rolling hills and a lot of sheep, oh. as I remember. No, no yeah. rolling hills and no, <laughs> nothing. Just a lot of hedgerows. One goddamn hedgerow after another. <laughs> Tiny little roads that you can fucking die on, and and horses, many horses. Horses. And we go to um, Ireland, so I'm going to go to County Cork, where Irish roots are. So there's the there's the Rolling Hills, the Irish roots, because your mother was Irish. Yes, my yeah, my grandfather, my mother's Irish, Scottish, and French, but mainly Irish, and Mm -hmm. roots go back to County Cork. So, but wow. many generations ago, before this is when the potato famine happened. So that's why yeah. we just Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I have some Irish roots too. There, mostly, also Scottish and Irish and English. You're mostly Scots. So you're like seventy percent Scott. That's what <laughs> that's what Ancestry.com told us. Seventy percent Scottish. They're they're very closely yeah. related. All that whole area. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that'll mm. be so nice. So. Sorry, you're going to teach online and anyone can sign up for your workshops? Um, the workshops are actually in person. Oh, good. Oh, amazing. Nice. For the first time. And I think some of them, they've asked me to do parts of it online. So we'll see. So, okay. Yeah. And they're in the UK? Is that why you're going there? Um, one's in the UK, one's in Ireland, and then December in Spain, and then next year it's all over the place. So wow, good, Fantastic. that's exciting. Well, uh, I'm the, the online stuff as well because it's just it's so important, and we have this global family now. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really I'm very inspired by your whole life's mission, and I feel like maybe I've wasted uh, my life, and and I'm. <laughs> I'm wanna I'm gonna get back on it and start learning stuff. I'm really, I I'm I'm really I'm very intrigued by your by the the two of you and and what you have going on. And I wanna I do I want to encourage people to go find you and study with you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Such an honor to share space with both of you and speak to you again. Oh, it was truly our pleasure. So nice to connect with you. It's been a long time. And and, yeah. and just one more time, how can people find Oh, Tara? yeah. How can we find you for real? Like <laughs> the listener. <laughs> Finding Tara. How can we find Tara? Yeah. It's taramitryoga.com. <laughs> okay. Easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. And you'll have a list of all the places that people can come and find you in in living, breathing human form. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's up there or they can always email me or WhatsApp and I can respond. I'm quite accessible. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the break.